This Corbin Talk features from Salem Alliance Church, Pastor Jennifer Roth, recorded live at Corbin University in 2020. Thank you. Well, good morning. It's uh, fun to be back at Corbin. Uh, some of you will remember that I have a son who's a freshman here who I promise not to embarrass, at least not too bad. Um, and it's been fun to get to know Corbin better this year to learn a little bit more about your sports programs and your classes and your professors and that kind of thing. So as we dive into this topic today, this idea of what does it look like to live into God's design for men and women, we want to just jump straight into Genesis chapter, I think it was said in chapter 2. It's the next slide here. Genesis chapter 131. It's after all of the days of creation. So for days 1 through 5, he's made the land and the sea and the plants and the animals. And every day he said what? It was good. And at the end of day 6, after he had made men and women, in Genesis 131, then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. Something about what God made when he made men and he made women was very good. And yet, we clearly do not live in that very good. <laughs> if you look at the world around us and attitudes towards gender and the, the battle of the sexes and the way that gender is handled, we are not living in that very good. As Ben mentioned throughout history, we know that God made something good, but there have been different ways, ideas, expectations, even religious practices for what the roles of men and women and the family in the church and in society look like. So what does it look like to live into God's design for men and for women? And I want to say a couple things before we really dive in. First of all, just to set you at ease, I am not trying today to convince you of any particular theological belief. What I'm asking us to do today is to consider how do we have this conversation. We're going to look at why is this conversation important. We're going to look at what is this conversation, which I plan to go through pretty quickly because if you go to Corbin, you've been to a Bible class. I actually was emailing with some of your professors this week and just asking them, hey, what do you talk about in class? What are the questions that students are asking? So I know that this is not brand new to you, so we're just going to kind of set up the conversation, certainly not in all of its detail, but enough to have a conversation about it. And then we're going to finish this morning by saying, okay, so how do we have this conversation? My husband and I have been married for 21 years. We have three kids. Josiah, who's here, is 18, 19 this month. Uh, Titus is 17. He's a junior at Silverton High School. And Abigail is 13. She's in middle school. We have been in Salem. I've lived in Salem my whole life. Uh, I've been to Sal at Salem Alliance Church for about 30-plus years. Uh, Jeff is a farmer in the Silverton community. Um, and you know that I work at Salem Alliance. So that's kind of us in brief. And when Jeff and I had been married for 19 years, we stumbled onto something that threw us for a pretty big loop. And what we stumbled onto was that if you have a spectrum from complementarian and egalitarian, which are our big words that we're going to set up today, so uh, bear with me as I talk and walk at the same time. What we're looking at today, this, this kind of rope up here, is this idea of egalitarian and complementarian and what the spectrum is in between. And what my husband and I discovered after 19 years of marriage was that we were not in the same spot on the spectrum. That he would be more over on the complementarian side and I would be more off-center on the egalitarian side. 
I don't think that we found ourselves that far apart, but the conversations that it started were really, really hard for us. And this message that you're going to hear today is born out of our conversations. It is born out of finding that there is someone that I love deeply who has a different ideology and a different theology than I do on something that's very important to both of us. And it is born out of this idea that we are fiercely committed to loving well. We are fiercely committed to honoring. We are fiercely committed to staying close in the midst of exploring what is this theology? What is this ideology? And, and where are we on this spectrum? So this is born out of, honestly, out of my blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> to bring us to a place where we could say, how do we have this conversation about men and women and the way that God created us in a way that is honoring and loving and that draws us together rather than dividing us? So let's just look at a couple of definitions as we, um, as, uh, hang on a second, I wanna set up a couple more things before we dive into our definitions. Why does this conversation matter? This conversation that we're about to spread out on this spectrum and have a conversation about um, the roles of men and women, the, the, the way that God created us. Why does this conversation matter? The first reason it matters is because, as I mentioned, we are clearly not living in the very good. Our culture, our culture has lied to us. Our culture has fed us lies for years. Our culture has hypersexualized men and women, and that's part of the lie. Our culture is now in the, is, is, is neutralizing gender, and in many fronts trying to say, well, okay, so there is no difference between men and women, so that's just the safest way to just all be together, is just to say there's no difference. We're not living into the, we are male and we are female, and God created us uniquely. We're living in this place where our culture is telling us what masculine looks like and what feminine looks like, and we need to be anchored to the truth. We need to be tethered into God as our anchor for what does it look like to be the woman that he made me to be, or the man that he made you to be. We've got to get past the lies that our culture is telling us. The second reason this conversation matters is because it's personal. Our gender is one of the deepest parts of our identity. And how you live as male matters. Guys, I am sorry. You are living in an age that it is hard. What is politically correct and what is okay to say and not okay to say? And, and what is godly manhood? And where has that been corrupted by the over-feminism of our world? And, and where have men sorry for the word, but where have they been emasculated by our culture? And, and our church hasn't known how to give you back what you need in terms of knowing how to be a godly man who lives in this, in this world. You guys, it's personal to know what God meant when he said that you're to be the head of your home. When he created you in Genesis and then said it's not good for man to be alone and he brought a strong helper along for you. It, it, it matters that you know how to live into the masculinity that God created for you. And women, this conversation matters because it's personal. There are some of you that are in this room today because you're dying to know what I'm gonna say because you are a leader and you have gifts of communication 
and you have grown up in a complementarian society and you don't know how to be the woman that God intended you to be. You desperately want to honor the Bible and God's word, but you don't understand these things that are coming out of you and who he made you to be. And how do I be the woman that God made me to be and honor him and not be unbiblical and yet live into the strengths and the gift that he's given me? Some of you are asking that question and it's personal and it matters. The conversation matters because whether we are talking about how men and women interact or whether we are talking to each other as a woman and a man in a personal conversation, our view of what God's very good meant matters. Our view of theology matters because the third reason this conversation matters is because our theology absolutely influences and directs our practice our attitudes, and the way that we do life. Friends, we are a reflection of God. Look up here in Genesis 127, it says this. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Hear this. God made us in his image. Male and female, he made us. What does that mean? It means that it takes both male and female to reflect the image of God. You do not get a full, complete image of God if all you see is the male reflection of him. And you do not get a full, complete image of God if all you get is the female reflection of him. You need male and female together in love and in unity in the world in order to get the reflection of the God whose heart and nature was the very good that he created in the garden. Friends, we're not reflecting God's image very well if even in the body of Christ, we can't have this conversation without getting angry with each other, without casting judgment on each other, without being rude to each other. It takes both male and female to reflect the image of God, and we need that reflection coming through the fact that God is love and that love is patient and love is kind. It is not rude and it is not self-seeking and it does not boast. Those are the ground rules for the conversation. Everything else is theology. Everything else is ideas. Everything else is conversation. Don't get me wrong. It's important. But if it is not done in the attitude of love that God calls us to as his Christ followers, here's the problem. We're having this argument about men and women and what God's plan was. And in that argument... We're trying to be the best representation of, of what God's will in his heart is, right? But in our effort to be right, we're not actually reflecting God's heart because we're not being kind and patient. We'll circle back to that. The conversation matters because he has a very good for us that our world does not get because it's personal and because we reflect God and our world needs to see the healthy, whole, thriving, very good reflection of what God meant when he created male and female. So now let's look at a couple of our definitions. On the egalitarian end of things, I think, well, a couple slides forward because I kind of skipped around on you, I told you. So on the egalitarian end of things, let's look at this definition together. This is just a really basic, but egalitarianism holds that all believers, without regard to gender, ethnicity, or class, must exercise their God-given gifts with equal authority and equal responsibility in church, home, and the world. So it's a fairly simple definition, but it helps us be using the same vocabulary, okay? This is by no means an exhaustive lesson on this, but it's just to kind of get us some common vocabulary. So on the complementarian end, let's look at that definition. 
Complementarianism affirms that men and women are equal in the image of God, but maintain complementary differences in role and function. In the church, I believe the next one says, in the home, men lovingly are to lead their wives and family as women intelligently are to submit to the leadership of their husbands. And final part, in the church, while men and women share equally in the blessings of salvation, some governing and teaching roles are restricted to men. So again, fairly straightforward, fairly simple. So on the complementarian end of things, we've got God created men and women equal and different. And they complement each other. And there are roles. There is authority. There, is, there are functional differences that we see in the home, in the church, and in society at large. And egalitarian would say, let me go past egalitarian for a minute here. Some people would say that an egalitarian says everybody's equal and the same. That's not the kind of egalitarian I'm going to talk about today. We'll talk about those extremes. The egalitarian that I'm saying affirms that God made us different, that male and female are different. But in that sense that we are equal, then if God has given us gifts and he has given us strengths, then we are free to use those in the local church and in our family and in society in the way that he opens doors for us to do. So a little bit less about the roles and function and more about the mutual partnership. The interesting thing about these two big words is that their foundational difference actually starts with the understanding back in Genesis. We often jump into the verses in the New Testament when we have this conversation about what God says about men and women and marriage and ministry and all those things. But I want us to take a step back and to start back in Genesis because here's what I see starting in Genesis chapter 2. First of all, let's establish what God's very good looked like. So Genesis 2, 18, and then I'm going to skip to 21. Then the Lord God said... It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Let's pause for a second. People for years have argued over what does helper mean? I don't actually want to talk about the Hebrew or the helper or any of that today. You can get that in your Bible classes. What I want to talk about is this. If God said, I will make a helper who is just right for him, then the way God made woman was just right right for man. However that's been clouded in the centuries since then, however we get confused about it, whatever chaos surrounds us in the world about it, we know that at the core of God's creation was a man who was perfectly made by God and a woman who was just right for what that man needed. They were just right for each other. Skipping to 21. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last the man exclaimed, This is bone of my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. What can we see about God's very good in this? First of all, a helper who is just right for him. Second of all, it is for this reason, this just right of man and woman, that you leave your family of origin, that you leave the home where you grew up, that as you become an adult, you leave and you become one with this other person who becomes your partner in life, and the two are united as one. 
so this, this family of origin, this place of sheltering and safety and upbringing and teaching gives way to a new family where you're going to become one. And what is the reality in this new family? It's that they were naked and unashamed. And that isn't just a sexual nakedness. That is a completely known, completely seen, everything about them. And there was no shame. Can you imagine a relationship with no shame? No confusions, no questions, no doubts, just fully known and fully loved. When God created you, male or female, that is what he had in mind for you. That is his very good. A relationship with someone who knows you to the depths of who you are, and loves you, and there is no shame. That is God's very good. In that original design, the complementarians and the egalitarians would focus on a different piece of that story. So a complementarian would focus on the word, a helper suitable for him. Man was made first, and given the responsibility of naming all the animals on his own authority. So there's this reflection that God's perfect plan is the man as the leader and the woman as his strong help. It's not the little helper, it's, it's a strong help, right? And so the only way it works is for men and women to live into the roles and the responsibilities that God gave them as male and female, which are shown in the order of creation. That would be the complementarian viewpoint on that. The egalitarian viewpoint of that very, very beginning would actually be to focus on the phrase where it said, it is not good for man to be alone. We are created in God's image. We need male and female. It is not good for male to be alone. Therefore, God's perfect plan is about the partnership of both men and women. And the only way it works is for men and women to respect and treat each other as equal partners. We're better together. So you've got different starting points. One starting point is about the order of creation, and the other starting point is about the not good to be alone and the need for that mutual partnership. Well, when you have different starting points, you read all the rest of it different all along the way. So when we get to the fall, when, when the serpent came and said, did God really say? And he cast doubt about whether or not God was trustworthy. And he said, he just doesn't want you to be like him. The complementarian would say that Eve ate the fruit of the tree and gave it to Adam. She was de deceived first. Adam should have been taking the lead, so he was abdicating his leadership role. That was part of the problem. And Eve should have been following him, not stepping out ahead. That's part of the problem for where they landed up. That's a complementarian view on this passage. An egalitarian view would, would be Adam and Eve were both there. They were both having a conversation with a snake, and they were both culpable. Well, then we get to the part where God pronounces the curses. So they've both sinned. God comes looking. Now they have shame. That's the first brokenness that we see to God's very good was that they were hiding because they were ashamed because they became aware of how naked they were. All of a sudden, they had things about themselves that needed to get covered up because of the awareness of good and evil, because of the sin that had come into the world. I'm not going to read all of the curses. I just want to read this one part, and it's in um, Genesis 3.16. And I'm actually going to read it to you from three different translations of the Bible because this is where it really gets interesting, you guys. Genesis 3.16 in the NIV says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So that was part of this curse. It's the, it's the crucial point to what we're talking about right now. Genesis 3.16 in the ESV, the English Standard Version says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. 
Which is it? Your desire will be for your husband, or your desire shall be contrary to your husband? Those are both translated from the same original language. Genesis 3.16 in the New Living Translation says, And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. So what was it that God was speaking? Was he speaking that she was going to have an inordinate desire for her husband and he was going to be ruling over her? Or was he speaking that she was going to have a desire rise up to control her husband and usurp his authority and he would have to rule over her? Or was he saying that her desire was going to become contrary to her husband and so there's going to be conflict so he was going to rule over her? See, our theology, our starting point, even influences the way that the Bible is interpreted and translated and which your words the translators choose to use. I'm not faulting any of the translators. I'm just saying we have to be aware of what we're reading and where it's coming from. We have to be student. Here's the deal. A couple weeks ago, I almost killed somebody. I, I, that sounds funny. It wasn't funny in the moment. It wasn't him. I was in a car, and I was driving, and somebody pulled in front of me. And the first thing that happens is, sorry, this is just my phrase, but what comes into my mind is, it's not your go, meaning it's not your turn to go, it's my turn to go. So I'm going about 30 miles an hour, and there's someone probably 20 feet in front of me that pulls out right in front of me, and I slam on my brakes as I say, that's not your go, and I look up, and my light is red. My light is red, and I am in the middle of the intersection, and I am literally no farther than 10 feet away from, from T-boning a woman who is going through the intersection on her green. I was distracted. It was not my phone, praise Jesus. That would be embarrassing. It was my purse and my wallet, and I was digging for something in my wallet, and I just about T-boned a woman, and quite frankly, I was going fast enough that it would have been very, very bad. I was distracted and I almost hurt somebody badly. Friends, I think sometimes with this topic, we know a little bit about it. We've heard somebody teach about it, but have we done our own due diligence or are we driving through this, this scene of male and female and how do we do this in the church and how do we do it in marriage and how do we do it in the family and we're kind of distracted. We're not actually paying totally close attention to it, but we kind of have some ideas of what we think about it based on what some other people have told us. And what I want to say is how do you have this conversation? You need to do your due diligence with the word of God to know what you believe. Not what your professors tell you, not what your parents tell you, not what your pastors tell you, and not what I tell you. What does God say in his word? Friends, you have to know that as a female who began to realize that I had a, an opportunity to do some communicating, I leaned in deep. I grew up solidly in a complementarian viewpoint, and I had to dive deep and do my due diligence for Jesus. What are you saying to me, Jennifer, about where I can teach and where I can't teach? Where it is okay for me to be and where it is not okay for me. Whether you are looking at what it looks like to be a husband or a wife or a member of your church or somebody in ministry, you need to be a student of the word and do your due diligence so that you don't find yourself in the middle of an intersection saying something that you believe in only to look up and see that your light is red and you actually haven't paid enough attention. So in the curse, the complementarian would say that the result of the fall is that the woman is going to try to usurp the male leadership that God created. And her husband is going to have to rule over her because in order to keep his place, he, she's trying to take authority for him. And this is what causes the, the strife and the contention between us. And the egalitarian would say that the result of the fall is that the partnership was broken. 
And now there's this tension, and he's going to rule over her instead of walk equally with her. Do you see what's happening here? From our starting point, we're getting farther and farther apart. So then what happens in the redemption? When Christ comes and he lives a perfect sinless life and he takes our sin and he dies on the cross and he says, it is finished. And he rises from the dead and he leaves his disciples with all authority to make disciples and to baptize in his name. And he goes back to heaven and he leaves his Holy Spirit and we're living in the kingdom of God. He restores all things, including the ability to live in that before the fall perfection. Hear this. We live in the it is finished, but the not yet. It is done and we know the future, but we still live in the brokenness of this world. So we have before us the possibility of living in that place like the garden with no shame in the very good between male and female that God created. And yet to do that is like swimming against upstream as a fish in our culture, trying to do something that is God-centered in a world that is not God-centered at all. And so in the redemption, the complementarian would say that when Christ comes and he restores the kingdom design, he restores the created male headship. Women are now able to graciously live into their role as a strong helper because Christ has redeemed the ability for us to live without that conflict between us and gender. And the egalitarian would say that when Christ comes and restores original kingdom design, he restores that created mutuality. Men and women can now do life in a strong partnership because they're not contending with each other. So you can see that we come to 2020 and it makes a little bit more sense of why we're still having difficult conversations about men and women and what God's heart is and what his role is because we're still trying to figure out what happened back in Genesis? We got to hurry. I just looked at the clock. Okay, so let's just set out a few scriptures here. And we're going to go through these really fast um, because it matters that we get to the end of this conversation. So again, this is not exhaustive, but here are some classic scriptures that go with these viewpoints. 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35. Women should be silent during church meetings. I don't think I need to read any more of that. That's a pretty... Done deal, complementarian verse, okay? Let's look over here at Acts chapter 2, 17 and 18. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Drop down a little bit. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Now, an egalitarian might say, do you know that to prophesy, you have to speak in the body of believers? So which is it? Is it women should not speak in the body of believers? Or is it that God's going to pour out his spirit on all people and men and women alike are going to prophesy? I'm not answering those questions. I'm just telling you what they are. Let's look at 1 Timothy 2. Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. For God made Adam first, and afterward he made Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived, and sin was the result. So here's another classic complementarian passage, and not only does it tell us what role women should have and not have, it shows us that, that, that the author of this is pointing back to Genesis and affirming that complementarian viewpoint of the original creation and the fall and what the redemption is. So we see an affirmation of the complementarian viewpoint from Genesis. An egalitarian might then point over here to Galatians 3, 26 through 28, 
For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who've been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So there's no racism, there's no classism, and there's no sexism. And then a complementarian might say, yeah, but Jennifer the egalitarian is taking that verse out of context because that Galatians passage is actually about salvation. It's not actually about women in ministry. And I would say, you know what? In context, it still reflects the heart of God for no racism, no classism, and no sexism. So even if we continue to land on different ends of the spectrum, we still continue to reflect the heart of God. And this is where it gets interesting. Sometimes we can be on different ends of the spectrum, but our lives actually still reflect God's goodness and his heart. Because there's no complementarian who wants us to become gender abuse, and there's no egalitarian who wants us to become male bashing. We got to talk a little bit about the extremes here. Down here at the complementarian extremes, beyond where this sign is, is the place for religious and spiritual and emotional and physical abuse. The place where in the name of God, women are treated as servants in their own home by a husband whose attitude is one of superiority rather than one of humble serving love. This is the place where rudeness happens in the name of biblical accuracy. This is the place where a youth leader once told someone in his youth group that God would never give her the gift of leadership because she was a woman. And he pointed her back to the spiritual gifts test and said, find a different one because God wouldn't give you that. That is outside of biblical theology, in my opinion. I believe the Bible tells us that God gives gifts to all people. Now, within the local church, there might be different roles and responsibilities that, that within this viewpoint, they say yes or no to, given if you are male or female. But it is outside the bounds of biblical complementarianism to be in those extremes. The lie at the extreme is that women are dangerous and to be feared. The lie at the extreme is that women are dangerous. Women are not dangerous. Women were created as the right partner. But the lie at the other extreme is that male and female are the same and that there is no difference. And at this extreme, we lose the reflection of God in the world. We lose... When it comes down to male bashing and demonizing and demeaning, we lose our heart, friends. The lie down here is that men are bad and to be feared. Do you see what the enemy's doing? He's creating these lies at the extreme that make us afraid of each other when what God wanted for us was very, very good. We're not meant to be afraid of each other. We're meant to live into God's very good. One of the things that both groups agree on is Genesis 1.31. Let's look at it again. I think it's on there. I might have skipped a little bit because I'm super, out of, I'm super out of time. But basically, Genesis 131, we've already been saying it. God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. So both egalitarians and complementarians agree on God's very good. And then we go different directions on how we live that out. So how do we do this? And I apologize because I front-ended things, and I did not get— So we're going to go through this super fast, but I think it's so important we're going to do it, Okay. First of all, we have to guard against offense. We have to guard against offense. We need to listen for understanding rather than forming our next argument. James 1.19 says this, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. 
One of the things we do when we're having a conversation, let's say that my husband is here in this part of the spectrum, and I'm here on this part of the spectrum, and we're having a conversation. Part of what happens is I'm listening to him, and I hear something that it says, and it triggers my fear of this. And so now I'm offended by him because he's using words that remind me of this. And the same happens for him. He's listening to me, and it triggers his fear that I'm way over there. And so we're having a conversation with each other, but we're not actually listening to each other. We're actually arguing over points that neither one is saying because we've been quick to be offended and we have jumped past what they're saying and we can't hear each other in each other's hearts because we're offended by the end of the spectrum. Two, we need to consider the interests of others. We need to consider the interests of others. Philippians 2 says this, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. So let's flip through this really fast. Let's look at the interest, the heart interest of a complementarian. So a complementarian values biblical integrity. The literal interpretation of scripture. I can't tell you how often it's not about whether or not women are put down or put up. It's about how do I honor God's word. A complementarian is so concerned with what happens if we start cutting out certain verses of the Bible and just saying they don't mean what we think they mean. Then where do you stop with that? So there's a value for biblical integrity. There's another value for uniqueness of male and female. We've talked about this. It takes both male and female to reflect the heart of God. And the other interest of complementarian is healthy family. That it's only when we live in our God-given roles that our families really grow in the way that God wants them to grow. So let's look really quick at the interests of an egalitarian. Ironically, one of the top interests of an egalitarian is biblical integrity. But where the, the interest of a complementarian is that literal interpretation, you can put that next slide up, you'll see the literal interpretation come under the complementarian. The interest of an egalitarian is the contextual interpretation. So if I'm looking at 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul tells women that they need to have their head covers if they're going to pray and prophesy in the, with the believers, and then 1 Corinthians 14, where he says, I don't let women speak, I go, wait, he told women to cover their heads when they are speaking, and then he said, don't speak. So which is it? And one of the questions an egalitarian would ask is, what is happening that I can't know? Maybe it wasn't written down in the letter. Maybe it was something that happened in that culture. Maybe it was a private conversation that happened. I don't know, but something happened that I don't know because there seems to be a discrepancy in Scripture. So the contextual interpretation. Moving down, we've got the value of male and female, and then again, healthy family. For complementarian, that healthy family plays out in the roles, and for egalitarian, that plays out in the partnership. Jeff, would you come on up with me? Um, as we wind down, you guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just consider this list. I want you to think about where you fall on this spectrum. And I want you to look at the other side, and I want you to ask yourself the question, can I recognize the interest and consider the interests of others? And can I see and believe that there is something valuable even at a different place on the spectrum than where I sit? Friends, one of the most painful comments that you can make against a complementarian is that a complementarian doesn't value women. My husband values women. <laughs> Me, one woman. Hey, the rest of you are all great too. <laughs> one of the most painful statements you can make to an egalitarian is to say you don't value the word of God. Because many of us have studied the word of God. 
Let's consider how we do this with love. Jeff, I'm sorry to cut your time short. Oh, we just want to bless you while we wrap up and sort of come to the end. Oh, what happens when you end up with ideologies and thoughts that are in a different place than those around you? What happens when the world constructs around you a different reality than the one that you live in? It's easy to pull back into corners and we need to be able to move out and engage and then pull back again to maintain our distinctiveness, but over all of it to put on love. So today, I want to bless you with love. I bless you with the gift of love, you beautiful and wonderful men and women. Uh, may God bring healing to your hearts, peace to your souls. May you find love that goes deep and enables you to engage with one another in peace. May this institution find the flexibility to deal with the realities of the day while forwarding unchanging kingdom principles. Mm -hmm. And uh, may you find yourselves at rest as you can continue to find God's work and call on your life. So, Father, I pray for a deposit of love, for a fresh wind of the Spirit to blow in this place, for a gift of freedom to be upon us, and may your love go deep, healing the brokenhearted, bring physical healing to those who need it, and releasing us into your calling for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, would you stand, and would you go ahead, Grace, and put on that final slide. Receive this as a benediction. Stand and receive this as a benediction. Therefore, as God's chosen people, you are holy and dearly loved. So clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive what other grievances you may have against one another. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds us all together in perfect unity. Thanks for being here today.